Welcome everyone to Edge Talk Radio. I am Angela Zabel, that's me, and I am here today with Christopher Noel. He is an author and from Vermont, and we are going to begin diving in deep, so hold on to your bootstraps with this one. <laughs> so who am I? I am connected to spirit. I've been working with a team in the non-physical my entire life, sharing messages from a multitude of realms with people. I am a teacher, coach, and a medium, radio show host, which is why I'm here, writer, retreat host, gallery reader, speaker. I do online and private group sessions offering guidance mediumship, intuition, speaking engagements, and sharing knowledge with others, working with people throughout the world. And today we are on Edge Talk Radio. And the Edge Talk Radio is the Edge Magazine is the leading events and social media resource dedicated to all aspects of holistic living, health and wellness, and the mysteries beyond. Sharing information, wisdom, resources, committed to promoting businesses, organizations, and individuals who support our collective journey to wholeness and balance. You can find out more about Edge Magazine at edgemagazine.net. If you're looking for information on me, it's Angela Zabel. Dot com and I'm on all the social media aspects so just go on and check it out and today I am going to be working with Christopher Noel and he holds a master's degree in philosophy from Yale and an MFA from Vermont College of Fine Arts where he taught for 20 years he has dedicated the past 14 years to learning about the Sasquatch series He's an author of several books on the subject, including most recently there is no veil and we're going to be getting into that one a little bit for a little bit later. The Sasquatch Savant Theory, Next of Kin, Next Door, How to Find Sasquatch, A Stone's Throw Away, The Mind of Sasquatch, and The Secret to Their Success, and A Field Guide to Sasquatch Structures. Noel lives in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom, and he has Our Life with Bigfoot, Knowing Our Nest Kid at Habituation Sites. So he also has done Sasquatch and Autism. Sasquatch Rising, The Dead Giants Tell No Tales, DNA Breakthroughs and Backyard Visits, Reveal the Greatest Story of Our Time. He's also done Mind Speak, Tapping with Sasquatch and Science, and The Electric Sasquatch, How, to natural, how a Natural Force May Explain Supernatural Powers. And There Is No Veil, a play at the vast here and now. And she also has the nonfiction or the uh, fiction of The Girl Who Spoke with Giants as a novel. And you can find him on his social media aspect. The biggest place is to go on his Facebook page is Christopher.noel.980, and the links will be down below. You can also find his books on Amazon, and those that link will also be below. So make sure to check out that information on Christopher because there's a lot of great information there. And I got to meet Christopher in person not that long ago. And after meeting him, I knew I had to have him on today. So Christopher, how did you start on this whole journey of starting with Sasquatch? Well, thank you so much, my friend. What a lovely introduction. I'm humbled and delighted to be here. Well, when I was about 11 years old, and this is a common, um, a common first kind of inspiration for people. Is uh, I saw the the Patterson film, the famous Patterson film, shot in Northern California in 1967. And I, so, I for those talk, of you who don't know the Patterson film, can you talk about what that is? Yeah, it's a 58 second film shot by Roger Patterson. He and his friend Bob Gimlin were riding horseback horses uh, in um, Northern California in a place called Bluff Creek. And 
they had been looking for Sasquatch and they looked for three weeks. And I, th I think they were close to giving up for, for that expedition, but they'd been riding their horses around for three weeks, finding footprints, large five-toed footprints. Um, and then one fateful afternoon, October 20th, they rounded a bend in a valley that was um, had experienced a 500-year flood. So there's all this driftwood and debris and crazy mud and silt everywhere. And the horses reared, reared up because they're um, um, crouched beside uh, the, the river, the little brook. It's not really a river. A little brook was uh, this uh, large, hairy creature. And uh, she turned around and looked at them, stood up, and then made her way off at an angle um, toward the toward the forest, but it, she had to cross a, a, a wide um, a mud flat on the way to the forest. So they were able. Roger Patterson was able to dismount. The horse fell back on his leg. It was so freaked out. He managed to to wriggle out of out of that and um, get his um, sixteen millimeter camera out of the saddlebag and start it. It need it get it gets cranked up. So I, I guess it was fully cranked. Um, so then he just press press a button and it starts right up. And he took the the uh, um, iconic fifty eight seconds of footage of of this uh, upright walking um, female individual walking away and swinging her arms. You can tell she's a female because she has breasts and she swings her arms and she at one point she looks back and that's the famous frame number 352 that we've all seen many times where she uh she turns back to look make sure that they're not following her just check them out and she goes and she disappears off into the uh, forest off into the mists of legend and so when i saw that as an 11 year old i think it was um kind of like one of those little features before a, a feature length movie before a regular movie right my imagination was <clears throat> captured and i i thought that's not a person in a suit even though a lot of people think it is i could just tell i could just maybe i wanted <clears throat> to be able to tell because it wasn't until many years later that um film analysis was able to uh, enhance the details in the in the the uh, the figure, and find all sorts of muscle groups moving underneath the uh, the fur, and find that she that her limb proportions, her legs to her arms to her torso, are very different from a human limb, human proportions, and her um, her gait, the way she walked, her biomechanics is also different from from humans. They they will walk with their their feet landing right in front of each other as they go so it looks like a tightrope walk whereas we have a staggered a staggered um set of footprints uh so so that was my introduction to it and that would have been 1971 or so and it wasn't until 2005 that i i stumbled upon the fact that there were these expeditions that people were taking through the bfro the bigfoot field researchers organization and that you could sign up and actually go. And one was scheduled um, only uh, an hour and a half from where I live in Northern Vermont. So I signed up, I went and my life changed forever. 
not that I not that I had any uh, direct experience with Sasquatch at the time, but what it did for me, this three-day expedition was to expose me to people who were serious about the subject, who knew a lot more than I did about it, and whose imaginations had likewise been captured um, years earlier. And they found, they, they were part, the, the veteran researchers had been able to um, devise a sort of a, a, a systematic method of having interactions with them, which, which, which meant going to out at night in spots that have a history of, of sightings over the years and making overtures, knocking on trees and going whoop um, and such, and mostly just sitting quietly and being receptive and emanating goodwill and you'll sometimes hear them knocking back to you or knocking to one another. And nothing else in nature besides human beings will like, like knock against a tree. Woodpeckers don't do that. They go, they don't do one loud knock. They don't knock that loud anyway. Um, so you know that it's, that, you know, either you're being tricked by a human being at 2.30 in the morning in the middle of the forest with no light, with no flashlight, or it's a Sasquatch. Um, I mean, one of the things I think I was really drawn to you is you're really about documenting, documenting what you're experiencing, documenting what's out there. And I think that's something that I think was really needed. And I'm guessing they were documenting some things there too, but I think you, you know, just knowing you a little bit is, is your attention to detail and wanting to make sure you have all of the details down is that documentation. And I'm going to do a little, let people in a little bit. I did hear some of the things that um, Christopher shared with me with the, the whooping and the knocking, and it is absolutely amazing. So, and is some of that up on YouTube now? Um, yeah, she, you're referring to three nights ago, I was out at my usual spot and I went, and six seconds later, I can't even play it if it'll come through. Um, it's unlisted on YouTube just to share with friends because it's all going to go into a documentary. So I don't want to make everything public before that. Right. Um, but um, I, I made that call. And then six seconds later, from down by the river, where they tend to hang out, I hear something very similar calling back. And it's nothing that could be anything but a Sasquatch because it, it also knocked uh, softly knocked on some wood. It goes um, and it, it it called back. I, if mine was woo, woo it its was woo, woo. So it wasn't exactly the same, but it pretty clearly was a, um, a mimicry. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, there's an old saying in in uh, field research that it, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. Which of course is an is an overstatement because it, it does happen, and lots of times when people don't bring cameras and uh, out with them, they get more um, more activity because you know they're not trying too hard. They're not trying to, to sort of like capture Sasquatch in ways that Sasquatch doesn't want to be captured. But on the other hand, I do like to uh, to, to film. I have a I have a, a night vision scope which is just passive. It doesn't send out any, any infrared 
beam or anything. It just takes the available light from the moon and the stars and, and magnifies it within the tube. I have that duct tape to my, my normal uh, video camera so that I can, uh, you know, especially when it's not too overcast, I can see pretty well through that. And anyway, I'm getting way, way ahead of the story. Uh, just, just to circle back briefly. Um, We're just so having I, fun. <laughs> no, I know. I just, just I'll fill in the connected dots a little. So a, after going on a, a whole bunch of um, expeditions with uh, the BFRO and learning a lot from, from veterans and hearing occasional sounds from Sasquatch, um, and just hearing so many stories of encounters, um, I, I was, I was really hooked, completely hooked. And, um, I just kind of like, um, made, made it a priority and took a vow of poverty because, you know, I, uh, I had flying, I was flying all over the country doing this instead of uh, making money. But then as the internet matured, I, I was able to be in, to sort of network with um, people who were living at in spots where they had Sasquatch kind of regularly paying visits and and doing doing little things to make their presence known, like tapping on the windows or throwing pebbles up on the roof um, or slapping the side of the house at three in the morning. Everybody That'll wake you up. <laughs> freaking everybody out, freaking everybody out, and sometimes like growling when someone would go to walk the dog in the house. The dogs would have no, they would have, have none of it. They would just slink back to the house. <laughs> I think I would too. <laughs> I know. So there's these places that, that are, are sort of loosely known as habituation sites in the tradition of Jane Goodall or Diane Fossey, who, who um, habituated their, their primate groups to study them. And habituation just means to familiarize yourself with each other so that there, the, the level of instinctive fear and otherness kind of kind of erodes over time. Um, so I got to, to know online various people who had had, who had um, come to a, an acquaintance with the habits and the routines of their local Sasquatch group and um, would audio record them and sometimes get um, little snippets of, of video and still images. And so um, I came to realize that it was a better, better, more efficient and a richer route to getting to know these, this kindred species who are another kind of people, mm -hmm. a wild people. Um, the better route was to, um, learn from habituation sites rather than just to take a stab in the dark by going out uh, in a group of people and knocking on trees, which can work, but it's it's much less, you know, the best you're going to get is knock a knock back or a vocalization. And you, it's thrilling to get that, but you're not going to learn much more than you did the first time you heard it, you know. Um, Whereas at habituation sites, lots of times people will trade objects with Sasquatch. Uh, Sasquatch will bring from somewhere else, some other house, they'll bring an object that looks very much like the ones that you have on your porch and they'll put it right next to that yeah. to show that they have a very associative mind and they like they like objects. They like they, they speak to us often through through things that they arrange and rearrange and they'll take our things and rearrange them 
in sort of um, humorous and playful ways. Um, so I, that was being in touch with these people was what allowed me to put together my first book, Our Life with Bigfoot, which has seven, six different testimonials from families and individuals who live at these habituation sites. So that's a that's a nutshell of my trajectory in studying Sasquatch. Oh, and then I found out that I didn't have to go all over. Not only did I not have to go to expeditions, I didn't have to rely on habituation sites all over North America because Sasquatch lived right here in my backyard. And I was able to capitalize on that fact. And it turns out one of the one of the main paradigm shifts that's happened in Sasquatch research over the past few years is that um, we don't have to think of them as just living in the wilderness, far from human beings, in order to be safe and and uh, um, insulated from us. Many of them do live in the wilderness, but many of them also live right next to our settlements, our civilization. I think they're as drawn to us through kinship as we are to them. Um, so. I managed to find some spots right here in northern Vermont, several different spots where I could reliably have interactions with them. Um, one was a ravine just two miles from my house where I um, had pine cones thrown at me and um, drumming, wood on wood drumming sounds from like a couple hundred feet away every single morning when I would go in it would like, It's like drum riffs. And um, so I have a video all about the ravine. Uh, it's called um, Sasquatch Up Close and Personal, like two years of learning in the ravine. And that's that's on my um, YouTube channel, which is called Impossible Visits, that channel. So your YouTube channel is called Impossible Visits? Yes, ma'am. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> well, that's okay. Now I get to, I get to fill in some stuff. <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> so to this day i continue to do local sasquatch research and i don't have to i don't have to uh go all over heck and creation anymore they're right here in fact they're everywhere all you listeners out there uh or viewers if you have undeveloped forest near you even if even little micro forests if you find interesting stick and tree structures that don't quite look like um, maybe fun for kids to make or grown-ups to make, you know, our species to make, uh, if they look strange, but definitely intentionally assembled, just leave a, an audio recorder out there near these structures um, for several nights running and then listen to it in real time because you can't just look at the um, spectrogram uh, because lots of the sounds that they make don't register. They're subtle, but obvious. Like they'll make a, a, a conch clock, like, or like, or they'll tap on trees in a way in the middle of the night when woodpeckers don't. And it's obvious that it's it's not a woodpecker because it, it just doesn't sound like that rhythm. It'll be like, well, that sounds like a woodpecker. Never mind. I can't think. <laughs> Maybe it's all been woodpeckers. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't seen too many woodpeckers pecking at night. <laughs> pecking, pecking at night, no. Yeah, not too many pecking at so, night. <laughs> but, but anyway, if you hear, especially wood knocks, loud, single, double, triple wood knocks, like 
you know it's not a woodpecker if it's three in the morning. And so if you hear that, if you hear trees being pushed over on a still night, completely still night, and you hear a violent tree push, which is quite common with them, they like to do that. Um, or if you hear vocalizations like whoop, or um, strange whistle that you can't connect to any, any known bird. Um, I, I, for some reason, in my old age here, I've lost my ability to whistle, but yeah. one that they make around here is or just, it sounds, I call it the toothy whistle because it's more toothy than what I just did. Um, and it's just it's a straight whistle. And some people um, have Sasquatch, local Sasquatch that go up at the end. Could you hear that? I could hear it a little bit. Yeah. With it going in and then going up. Yeah. Okay. So how uh, did you, how did you actually like find out there in your backyard? I mean, because yeah. there, so what did you do? Like just go wandering around and they, well, yeah, various places um, that I found him. It had, it had different um, sort of a Genesis, like with the ravine, I heard of a, a friend of mine told me that he had heard, it was like third hand. He had heard about somebody who saw one crossing the road right next to that ravine. So I went to check out the ravine, which is um, right close to houses, but I never saw anybody in there. It's kind of hard to get into and, and steep, you know, and, and I went in there and I right away found um, obvious stick and tree structures. They make a whole bunch of different kinds of structures and you get to know them over time. And I put them in my, my field guide to Sasquatch structures. They'll make teepee structures, which is something that people like to make too. They'll make big pinwheel structures with like five or six um, elements, like uh, staves or whatever you call them. Um, okay. They'll, they'll uh, stuff lots of little branches into crooks of trees, stuff them in there. They like to wedge things and stuff things. They'll put... Um, They'll they'll take whole trees and put them up inside another tree. Oh, <laughs> like, interesting. They'll take a, a littler tree and put it up inside of a big tree, and you know that, that, that there's no way that a windstorm, <laughs> because yeah, because that's the isolated thing. It's not part of uh, some destruction that could come from a kind of little cyclone uh, weather event. Yeah, so there's many many kinds. They'll stick them in the ground. If you know, if you find one branch or tree limb stuck six inches in the ground, and and going straight up, that could just be random. But if you find five of them within twenty five feet, you know that that's pretty intentional. Yeah. Um, so lots lots of them you get to know. So I that was how I found that one in the ravine, I, and then I started recording all night long and and getting obvious Sasquatch um, telltale audio signals and then one morning i went in there to pick up my recorder extra early like seven in the morning and i started hearing them knocking in the broad daylight i thought it was just a nighttime thing and then i knocked and they knocked back and that was the start of um, a whole series of mornings that i would go and get reliable those drumming sounds i mentioned um from right on the other side of a screen of of leaves is a screen of, of trees of leaves oh. um, and you know I never went rushing in there because I wanted to establish a trusting relationship um, he was trusting me enough to make his presence heard um, and anyway so then um, another place I lived 
which was um, 12 miles from the ravine where I live now, my daughter would go walking in this little micro forest near us and she called it her territory. And she went there and she would, <laughs> she would watch the deer and stuff. And, and, and then one day I said, can I go with you to your territory? And, and she regretted that because she let me go in there. And my attention was completely glued to all these structures that I saw. And sure enough, when I put a recorder in there, this, the structures were, in, were correlated with Sasquatch sounds. And, you know, you figure, what are the chances that Sasquatch are in there, but they, they're not the ones who made the structures? Because you know that all higher primates manipulate their environment, you know? chimpanzees and bonobos and orangutans and um, gorillas and us, we all manipulate our environment. And Sasquatches, the material of their lives are sticks and trees and limbs and leaves and stones. And so, you know, they have this huge brain and big hands and plenty of muscles. So, and plenty of time on their hands. So it would be shocking if they didn't um, do things with, with their elements of their environment was that also part of like your journey too was when you started on here was investigating more on primates how they moved kind of understanding how they operated and kind of bringing that correlation in with the sasquatch yeah there's a lot of overlap and then you watch documentaries on primates and you see them knocking on trees and and pushing trees over as as sort of intimidation and marking their trails, which Sasquatch also do, um, and making nests, which Sasquatch also do. Um, but but Sasquatch are a whole lot more like us than than like a gorilla or a chimpanzee, in that they'll make much more intricate um, sort of sculptures out of out of <clears throat> trees and branches than than any other primate will do. Um, very very intelligent, sophisticated structures sometimes, sometimes very simple ones, sometimes very, very elaborate weaving and, and things that you can't even figure out how they put together. They're sort of geniuses when it comes to visual intelligence and, and um, um, building, building uh, these pieces, these works of art, really. And that's the difference, like chimpanzees and gorillas will make nests to sleep in but they don't seem to to have aesthetic uh, expressions like Sasquatch does. And then you have the habituation sites where Sasquatch demonstrates its its attention to detail in terms of like this woman in Ohio, Snow White Bigfoot is her channel name. She for years now has been having this ongoing move, move by move game with her local Sasquatch group. And for instance, she'll put she one time put two gourds, two big gourds on the, the railing on, on her porch. And the next morning they were switched. They were switched. And she, <laughs> she, she talk about documentation. She diligently documents every single step of the game back and forth. And so she had pictures, has pictures of everything before and after. And she'll have dice with the three dice or three die flush flush together with the sixes on top and then the next morning they'll, they'll be equally perfectly flush together with the ones on top <laughs> and then, you know a crow and a raccoon is not going to do that no not not usually <laughs> not so usually. sasquatch are much they're they're our closest relative by far 
you know, you know, mainstream science always says the chimpanzee is our closest relative, but they they're lost in the dust of of antiquity compared to Sasquatch. Sasquatch are apparently originally, according to the DNA results, they're originally 50-50 human women and a, a species of another the father being another species, probably a primate species that hasn't yet been discovered. Interesting. So they were originally 50-50, but then since then they've mostly reproduced with their own kind. So they're, they're, it's less of an, it would be less obviously human than it would have been thousands and thousands of years ago when the, when the cross, cross breeding happened. But they still, yeah, but they still have that human origin in them, and they're just as smart as we are, and smarter in many, many regards, you know. So when you started doing, like, you were doing all the different structures in that, is do you have pictures of some of those in that field guide also that you have? Those are pen and ink drawings. Okay. But in my videos on my channel, I have multiple, too many pictures. People get <laughs> bored with with how much I document these structures. I find them endlessly fascinating, but people are like, more of the same structures? I say, yeah, but look, can you imagine, can you imagine how, how they made this? Um, so yeah, there's lots of, lots of those. And there's, I have pictures of structures in my, in various books, but not in the field guide. That's just pen and ink drawings. Okay, just so people understand, so they can look, know where they want to look at, know they, what they want to check out, because I find it fascinating with, you know, how much is in the woods, how much is, is around us that we don't see, because I, one of the things I like to tell people when they question, like, is there Sasquatch, is there, you know, the Bigfoot, is there this, is you know, is there bears? Are there badgers? Are there different things? Like for us, there's badgers here, there's bears here, but how many in our area have actually seen them? Very, 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 very I've seen, few. I've seen five bears and like three moose in, in uh, what is it now? 50 years of living in Vermont. And there's tons of them around here. And, and they're there. And those are big yeah. animals. Those are not small. <laughs> exactly. No, no, exactly. You think you'd see them all the time, but uh, and they aren't equipped with the human intelligence and the sort of um, basic imperative not to be not to be seen. Every now and then you catch them by surprise, like in the Patterson film situation, or you know, there's tons of stories of people hiking and they they come around a bend and there's there's one standing there and it's as shocked to see to see them as we are to see the to see them. And, oh, um, but you know, they were just, they weren't paying attention. Like 99.9999% of the time, they are much more aware of us than we ever are of them. And it's the rare, rarest of moments when, you know, they slip up. Um, but they quickly remedy that by simply walking away. And, and before, and people, I'll go ahead. See, that's one of the things too, as you had mentioned, audio and video and, so you can do, you can capture a lot more on audio and there is a lot more on audio out there than there is on video. Have you ever seen or heard of like things happening with cameras themselves or, or video equipment where they stop working just before or something like that? Yeah. And this kind of crosses over into the spiritual and the spirit, because just like with, with us, um, spiritual experiences, um, there's this famous um, phenomenon that happens with, with Sasquatch field research, which is that the batteries will get drained or the, the camera will suddenly be, be disrupted. 
um, or frozen. And then, you know, when you're out of the area, the camera works fine for the next five years, you know, and it never, it never messed up before that. And Sasquatch seem able to, um, to either send from their bodies or, or allow nature to um, intensify the electromagnetic energy in the air. And that's, that um, is not good for electronics. No. <laughs> we call it the Bigfoot, the Bigfoot curse. Lots of times we'll, be, we'll have all these video files that successfully were uh, stored in the memory of the camera. And then we'll have two corrupt files, which of course were the time when you most wanted to see what you got on the, on the camera. And that happens with ghost hunters too. Absolutely. That's something that's it's very common for a lot. Of, that's why people are like, oh, it wasn't on camera. It's like, well, because a lot of times they're messing with the electronics, <laughs> messing with the camera. So you can't get it on there. They have the ability to do it. I know. I don't know what it is. I mean, it might just come down to consciousness. I think that Sasquatch have a expansive and powerful um, psychic ability slash just expansive consciousness um, more than most people do. And I think that and like spirit consciousness, they can um, influence the physical world. And so, especially, and so it makes sense that as a defense mechanism over the eons, when it, it was um, a matter of survival of their species, not to be dominated and killed and, and trapped and sent on reservations by our species, that they would develop this defense mechanism that originally was just to disable us like people talk about getting zapped mm -hmm. uh, when they're with in near Sasquatch so have an overwhelming feeling of disorientation or dread or nausea or just um, absolute um, feeling like they're gonna die or that they need to leave immediately and that, that's sort of um, <clears throat> this I think the same sort of energy that can also affect the cameras I think it's a it's I think it's electromagnetic and I don't know how they do it, but I don't know how spirit manipulates electromagnetism either. Yeah, I'm not sure how they how they do it, but I know they do it. I've I, um, I've I've had where they were taking pictures. I was getting professional pictures done for some new things, and and they stopped all the the guy the professional pictures, um, stopped his camera, stopped all his equipment, drained everything to zero. And I was just, I was laughing. I'm like, oh, I think it's me. He's like, no, no, I've got it. I'm like, I think it's me. So I think it's me. <laughs> I walked away. And then when I walked further away, I'm like, did they go on now? He goes, yep, everything's back up. And then I walked closer and everything went dead again. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it's you. It's all you. It's not spirit. It's just you. But they, they also oh, want to show people they're able to manipulate that stuff. Because right. then I asked them, like, okay, we, we got to get pictures taken. Let's make it work. So then they turned everything back on. But <laughs> sometimes it's it's that ability that they can do it to show us they're around. Right. So some of that is to show us they are there. And that is the evidence is having the cameras do go off, that everything does get corrupted. That is part of the evidence, too. So I think that's something big that's right there in front of us, too. Yeah, and with Sasquatch, I think they want to show who's who's boss, who's in control. They wouldn't have been able to accomplish this survival uh, all these eons without even being believed in by most people, <laughs> even though they're just a hundred yards away much of the time. If uh, if it weren't for the fact that um, that they're that they're in control, and so that's the bottom line: is that they control the environment. They can 
they control knowing knowing space and and terrain more than we ever can and they have they must be a photographic memory because whenever people try to put up um game cameras you know it's just like if somebody took a number two in the middle of your living room instantly they just know they memorize every square inch of their so they just look around and oh what's that oh yeah even if you try to hide it obvious to them um and they will they will sometimes um people will get their game cameras back and they'll see a series of of um pictures that were um triggered by like a branch waving in front of the, of oh. the land or they'll have the camera it was strapped to a tree and then it'll have been dragged around to the back of the tree so they have a bunch of pictures of just the rest of the tree instead of what you wanted to get so they they will mess they you know they don't take that lightly getting photographed and so you know um if i were really pure of heart i wouldn't try to photograph them because they obviously don't want to be right but a couple of years ago i was walking out to the same spot that um that, that I, the other night I got that mimic response and and um, I managed to have a seven foot, not seven foot tall, but a seven foot away encounter with um, a young Sasquatch that climbed up an apple tree. And you can see that at the end of my documentary, How to See a Sasquatch um, on YouTube. And it was, that was thrilling. It was, it, it was midnight. And although there was a full moon, this was happening underneath the canopy of this apple tree. So it's definitely compromised and it's it's not sharp and clear. But I think if people know what they're looking at, I mean, I think if people really study it, the footage with a with an open mind, they'll see that the figure cannot be other than a primate. And it knocked, knocked on the tree before I even got there. I heard a, a quiet little knock and it was right in the direction I was going anyway to, to camp out because I, I used to sleep out by myself a lot in these forests um, to be closer to Sasquatch. And then when I was right next to the apple tree, I heard stamping on the ground, like, on the ground. So I stopped and I, with the camera rolling and I, I said, hello. And there's this black, little black fuzzy thing in there. And I, I filmed it and it turned around and climbed up the apple tree and then did stuff up in the apple tree for the next 11 minutes while I was right there. But it was a lot of intervening branches and leaves. So, you know, that's, you, you never get them in the open, hardly ever. But th this was a privilege and I'm very grateful for it. I, I, at one point I got it reaching an, a long arm out and then going, and that's in the footage. It was eating something and it popped it in his mouth and this one is on your youtube channel also yeah that's in the documentary i mentioned how to see a sasquatch how to see a sasquatch nice yeah. so so people are definitely going to have to go check out some more of this stuff with christopher because oh, there's yeah. a lot of great information on there you're gonna have to you're just gonna have to <laughs> <laughs> 
And then, so something where, so for those of you who don't know, I've got a team on the other side and they've been kind of, they're niggling a question at me. <laughs> oh, good, good. I like that question. And I don't know if you'll know this or not, but do you have any idea, are primates, are they colorblind? Do they have a colorblind aspect to them or not? Is that anything you know, or maybe they're just kind of bringing it up to kind of look because a lot of times years ago uh, they would actually use people who were colorblind when there was wars when there were things because they could see in the forest and see things that others couldn't see because they were colorblind and i'm just they're just kind of niggling like did you ever check to see if anything's colorblind if if primates have are more adapt to colorblindness so, i don't know when it comes to other primates but i know that sasquatch don't seem to be colorblind because they really prefer blue things okay they love blue things. And um, many times um, the woman I mentioned, Snow White Bigfoot in Ohio on YouTube, her video diary entries, she calls them, um, she will find that they bring the same color to match with the same color Nice on, on the porch. Uh, lots of times it's marbles. They'll put, you know, there's three blue marbles and a clear marble and a red marble and they'll put the blue marble next to the other blue marbles and you know and then they'll find another red marble and put it next to the red um so we know that at least her group can see color and i think i think they all can because people report all over the world that inside sasquatch structures they'll find blue objects usually usually taken from from usually human objects like blue marbles or blue little blue toy um or something so that's quite interesting because they kept the, i don't know why they kept bringing up about about the color blindness and color and if they see color <laughs> so they wanted you to discuss that part <laughs> i think they also can see hunters in their orange because they they seem to really scatter when hunting season comes around um but i think it would be more evolutionarily advantageous to be able to see color in, in general because yeah. you know it's you know what helps you identify what plants you can eat they they they're they're omnivores and they don't seem to come around here much until late june which is exactly when a lot of the edibles and the berries begin to come out and there's a whole as you i'm sure know there's a whole range of edible plants um that people in the know can make use of in nature so they they hunt deer and other game and they also eat tons of uh of uh forage plants yeah so um and i'm sure they know what's what's medicinally useful for this or that you know they've had so many thousands of years of of uh culture of of um you know accumulated knowledge to pass on that and I'm sure that color plays a big role in that. I'm not sure, but it just seems like it, especially knowing they can distinguish color at awesome this house yeah. in Ohio. <laughs> I know it's it's something they just wanted to bring up. So I don't know if there's somebody out there who is questioning color blindness or color, but they were wanted it brought up. So for some yeah, reason, I'm glad. About they, that. <laughs> please ask, please let them ask me anything they want to. <laughs> so one of the other things is we you had talked about kind of people being almost frozen or feeling different and, and there's have you have mind speak tapping into sasquatch and science and one part in there had 
those who have interacted with Sasquatch have commonly reported an intimate mental contact. Descriptions of, of this experience cover the whole emotional range from euphoria to fascination to profound terror. And is that something, is there other aspects more of like a, also telepathy aspects where you feel like you're okay? I mean, you've been in the woods, you've sat out there. Most people wouldn't do that. Yeah. And did, you, did you feel like fearful or were you more excited and wanting to connect? Is it more of an intention behind people or what's your yeah, thoughts? I, I am mostly, uh, my fascination level outweighs my fear level. I've had trees pushed down 25 feet from me very loudly um and also 30 feet and close close by trees and i'm basically thrilled when that happens because when you're when you're out there even though you're in their territory because you've established that by audio recording and structure finding um 99 of the time not a thing, single thing happens so the the real disappointment the real more authentic fear if it can call it that is that you'll just come up empty and feel like a sort of a dope for spending these nights there. And, you know, it's just kind of like, feel kind of like Don Quixote, you know, um, thinking that the windmills are, are dragons, you know, when he's like, he's um, jousting with well, tilting at windmills and he thought they were dragons. Well, anyway, that's kind of a dumb analogy, but um it popped into my head. So what can I tell you? I like so it's it. a thrill. It's a, so I'm exhilarated and thrilled and privileged when I, I hear a knock or a tree push um, close by when I'm sleeping out there or when I'm just sitting out there for an hour. Or so like I do these days. And the other night when I got that, that um, mimic, mimic response, I wonder if I could just play that for people. I don't know. You can try. Do I have to share screen or no, no, you should be able to just, I mean, it should just be the audio, right? Audio. Yeah. It should just be audio. All right. Well, keep talking. I'll find it. Okay. (laughs) And that's one of the things is for me, I, you actually piqued my interest and really kind of changed a little bit of my perception because when I had met you trying to remember the exact conversation we had, but it was, it was more about, you had said our communication with Sasquatches maybe and with other ones, with other beings is psychic, but also are we dealing with ones who are also trying to connect with us? So just like there's those of us people around that want to learn and want to connect to other beings, want to connect with other things. But then there's some of us, some people that don't want anything to do with it and don't want to connect to anything and having those beings those sasquatch that are the ones that who want to reach out who want to further our expedition together and then there's the ones that don't want anything to do with us like get away i've got other stuff to do so it really kind of like i'm thinking there's there's multiple levels of these in in different aspects and multiple levels of those who want to connect with us yeah well it's just like our our race you know some some of us are um um alert to the, the magnetism that is um that comes from spirit and magnetism and kinship that comes from um our our next of kin on earth which is sasquatch and some of us are alive to that attuned to that and most people aren't you know one of the most annoying things is when people say oh you're interested in sasquatch 
tell me all about it. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And then you start getting into details like I've been today with you and their eyes slowly glaze over because they're just, they're captivated by the idea of it, but they don't want to actually sink their teeth into the granular level of, of uh, the concrete reality of it, you know? So that's why that's part of, part of what um, keeps Sasquatch safe is that 95% of people aren't going to get out of their chairs and actually go in pursuit of learning about the species and trying to have an experience with, with them. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to look at it is, you know, there's many levels of all of us. I'm interested. I love listening to this. I love that's like, to me, it's, it's, it's eye-opening, it's mind-expanding, and I learn something new from every person I talk to. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, I'm going to try that. I'm going to be working with them on that level. So for me, it's like, what what next can we do? What next can we do to amplify all of these connections that we're having with so many beings on so many levels? So I think it's awesome. Well, you're a lifelong learner. Most people just kind of learn through high school or college, and then they sort of just plateau you know, but um, some of us are voraciously curious and that's a gift. It's a lucky thing that, you know, we didn't choose to be that way. We just are that way. And then, you know, we proceed on that basis. I found a, the audio file. Let's see if, awesome. see if it's audible here. Okay. So first is my, my silly little whoop call. And then there's six seconds, which is good because it shows it's not an echo. But it's it's soon enough that it shows it's definitely a response to me. So, um, all right, here we go. Did you hear that? Uh uh. No. No, won't won't play it. <laughs> It won't play it, but it, it came through my audio, just like my voice comes through my audio. Oh, well. I, I did hear oh, it. <laughs> okay, it was worth a try. It was worth a try. Oh, oh I have an idea. I'll send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do this. You can keep talking. I, I'll just send it, and if you want to, you can play it. See if it'll play. Let's see. Yeah. See if it gets lucky. Yeah, we're... we're uh. We're playing as we go. You can still see my face though, right? Well, right now I'm looking at Facebook because I'm trying to send you this. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I can't figure this out. Never, never mind. That's okay. <laughs> All right. So, so then lots of times people, um, people report um, highly strange, non- non-strictly flesh and blood um episodes with sasquatch um people will will uh, report uh sasquatch speaking to them in their mind called telepathy or mind speak and i have a book with 20 different testimonials about people people's um relationship mental relationship with with their local sasquatch hearing things that then get borne out in physical space a day or two later and that all sorts of um, ways in which, for me, the um, reports of of mind speak with with uh, um, Sasquatch are uh, authentic sounding, persuasive to me. I was with um, one of the 
one of the habituators, as as they're called, um, is a woman in, in Texas. And I, I went to visit her five times over the years. And she was able to communicate with one of the females of her local group. Um, she didn't know she could do this until one day a friend of hers on the phone who was a real sensitive fellow said, you know, you can talk to her in your in your head. And my friend said, well, how should I how would I start that? And he said, well, your female's name is is Suntaya. So just say her name in your mind. And so the next day, at one point, my friend felt she was ready. And she she said in her mind, Suntaya, and she heard what? like an annoyed response. <laughs> and ever after that, she was able to have an open line of communication unless Suntaya was sleeping. Um, <clears throat> the whole, you know, and so when I visited, a whole bunch of things happened to prove to me that this was real. Um, I had brought a, uh, a laminated picture of my, my yard in Vermont, which, which was really lush. It was summertime and super lush. And I, to give to Suntaya to show her where I live, and so when then I flew down to um, it's uh, about eighty miles east of Dallas. So I I um our first evening, my friend, the woman who lived there, and I walked down the road, and I said, um, "Now I'm gonna." I, I had the picture underneath my shirt, toward my my chest, so that my friend could not see it there's no possible way she could see it unless remote viewing or something but we're just going to put that in brackets for now we won't go into remote viewing this oh, time okay. that's a whole nother thing um so so my friend was standing behind um behind me and she said suntaya is across that field in that in those trees over there this was sort of getting toward dusk and so i reached in and i pulled out the paper so that the back of it was to to me and to my friend, so she couldn't see it. And my friend says, Suntaya says, so green. Is that where you live? And I forgot to mention that this was during a horrible drought in 2011. And everything was brown, 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 baked, and, and it was 100 degrees, and it was a nightmare. And so Suntaya said, so green. I held my picture up bunch of other things happened. The final thing that happened was the last day I was there, um, it was the morning and I was about to drive away to go back to Dallas and fly home. And I said to, to um, my friend, I said, tell Sintaya that um, goodbye, I have to leave. And it would be great if, if she could make a goodbye sound for me, some sort of sound. And so, um, so my friend kind of looked off into space as she did when she would talk to Sintaya. And she said, she says to wait. And so I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to And right then, like less than 10 seconds, this loud, obvious wood knock from maybe 100 feet inside the thick forest. So I couldn't see anything. It was like, I can do it. Really louder than that. Just very obvious wood knock came. And at that moment, all my skepticism about mind speak just got, nice. it was like, a, like the knock was a bat hitting a home run. And the, the ball was my skepticism and it was gone. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that metaphor works at all. I don't know. But um, I think it works great because oh, uh, for me, it's, it's, you know, there's so much I do on a telepathic level and, and, yeah. and just to have others 
to step step into that and realize that's a real way of communicating that we all do. We do it on an everyday basis and we don't even realize it in so many aspects. I know. It's so surprising when when you are confronted with the undeniable fact that it's real. It's not just one hypothetical thing that you could sort of wonder at and you know have a good time daydreaming about. It's actually concretely real, just as concrete as you and I talking like this. Absolutely. Probably more, probably more so because this is this is digital. <laughs> it's digital, and we're still making the communication happen. Right. And it well, doesn't. And telepathy is an, analog. It's better. <laughs> it's it's clearer a lot of times. Clearer, <laughs> high, high, higher fidelity. That's right. It's vinyl. It's vinyl instead of CD. Anyway, um, so so yeah, a lot of people report telepathy, and they also report other things that um, occur also in with spirit. They'll report Sasquatch disappearing or appearing. They'll report objects being sort of um, coming out of nowhere, objects disappearing into nowhere, um, and many things that happen inside seances historically in the spiritualism movement from mid 1800s to mid 1900s was the heyday of it, but now it's making a resurgence. Um, seances where people will see balls of light and in the forest, in association with seeing Sasquatch or hearing Sasquatch, people see orbs all the time. I've seen them. I saw them down in Florida, right where people also saw Sasquatch. So they're, they're in some association with Sasquatch. I, I think that they're souls, consciousnesses that can take the form of these spheres of awareness that can move around and, and um, check things out, survey the area, take take the measure of a woman or a man see what their intentions are and it could be that sasquatch are traveling out out of their bodies like some people can do i think that, that sasquatch can more readily do these uh, perform the psychic miracles that um than we can although you know some people are adept at it i think sasquatch as a general rule is more proficient at it than we are um, I I tend to agree with you with that I've felt I've felt for a long time is that they have been able to tap into the aspects of ourselves like you know a lot of us are you know exemplifying and learning the different psychic ways the you know connection moving objects doing all things like that but I think they've been doing it for a long time it's more of a normal thing for them to do right and we're just realizing it a little bit more that they can move in, in ways that maybe we can't yet. Not, and I should say, not all of us. Some of us have already got to that Some level. Some people can. Some people can, but it's a rare. <laughs> it's a rarity. <laughs> a, rare, a rare duck. A rare Absolutely. egg of us that can do that. But I think our common ancestors with Sasquatch were probably adept like this and that it's kind of gotten diluted in us uh, down through our self-domestication you know the way that we're not wild anymore we're not we're not really connected to the earth by and large <clears throat> and they are i think they've retained the ancient capacity to uh for this sort of thing um, absolutely i also think some of it might be and this is just my opinion i think some of it might be our teaching we're taught that you know that stuff isn't real don't look into it well it gets drummed out of children doesn't it Children Absolutely. have imaginary friends, and sometimes they're just imaginary, and sometimes they're spirit. 
friends there's, and they're, well, there's they're real. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, one of the things I, I've realized is a lot of the children's imaginary friends aren't usually so imaginary. <laughs> no, I bet I bet they can be imaginary because there's such a thing as imagination, but but I I mean lots of times I'm sure they're they're actual other children from the higher vibration who managed to meet in the middle. Children being able to vibrate higher than I can certainly in this early stage of my spiritual development, and then their 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 um, playmate counterparts can like lower their vibration a little, and they meet in the middle, and they can have a play date in the middle there. Absolutely, and and then you know, there's so many times with I've had where they came through, and some are people that have passed that play with the children, and so. And not in a creepy way. I just want people to know that right away. <laughs> not in a creepy way, in a good right. way. In a good and a wholesome. A wholesome way of, of keeping that connection. So there's so many on the other side that are there willing to work with us. And I really feel Sasquatch and all of the different realms there are are also another another being just to get to know part of our family members, really. And, and it's just getting to know who they are and how to communicate with them. Because sometimes there's family members of our own we don't want to communicate with the same. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, one way to look at it is that our growth, our learning spiritually and consciousnessly, if that's, if I may, um, <laughs> is just realizing how extended and extended and extended our family is. We start off by thinking of it as this nuclear family, but then it extends in all sorts of directions, like rays of light out of the out of the uh, nucleus uh, or something like that. Um, and so you certainly are embracing a wider and wider circle of family in, in your work and your development. And I'm trying to, too. I've, I've been focused really just on Sasquatch for the last 17 years, but just in the last little bit, I've dived into uh, learning about spiritualism and spirit research. The scientists who have looked into this and found incontrovertible proof of the survival of consciousness after physical death and have learned about what's what sort of physical manifestations are possible. Um, and so I wrote this book called There Is No Veil, by which by which I mean there's no objective essential necessary veil. It's like a mirage. Yeah. It's a state of mind. And people impose it more on our side than in, than it is in reality, because we we learn, as you say, we're educated in the in the paradigm, the materialism paradigm, that this this is all there is, what we can see and feel, and um, but but you know, all sorts of things that obviously happen, like interacting with um, a dead relative feeling the touch of somebody on the side of your head um, or having an object appear out of nowhere, these things aren't there. That, that represents the lack of a veil, mm. you know, like normally there's a normally for most people, it's like there's a veil, but it's not, it's not a, it's a subjective veil, not an objective veil. I agree with you with the veil. And then that's one of the things is like I always tell people, you know, your your loved ones, they're right next to you. They're not here. they're, they're right not here. in over here. Yeah. No, they're not they're they're in the same space, but the space contains more than we've we've um 
had any than most people have been have learned to understand the space is much more pregnant and you know um rich because it contains lots of different vi vibratory levels and it's all different forms of matter and energy um but it's just that our senses are narrow because we allow ourselves to funnel our our um, experience through them rather than through consciousness itself, which transcends those senses. Absolutely. Um, so, so in in there is no veil. I was able to go through a lot of the history of the spiritualist movement, and um, just fascinating stuff that I, I I was able to learn and write down. And I think you're looking because I think you have some. Passage. I do have I do have a passage <laughs> there. So I did go through your book because there is no veil. When I saw the name of your book, I'm like, yeah, he's on he's on the right path because for me I know there's no veil there. It's we put the veil there a lot of times to protect ourselves because we kind of feel it's a little creepy to think about people right next to us or other beings right next to us because but we all coexist and just on different levels of consciousness and they've always been there, but it's not being fearful of it and instead embracing it and knowing you don't have to acknowledge them 24 seven, you can live your life, but when you want to, you can absolutely tap into them. So one of the things that I, that I, I'm going to read a little excerpt out of here, and this was, there's a little bit more of a backstory on this, but I'll, I'll just do the basic. Um, it says in his autobiography, Mark Twain attests to the following incident recounted in a YouTube interview, the long self with Eric Wargo before he was Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens was a pilot in training on a Mississippi river boat called the Pennsylvania. He got a job for his younger brother, Henry on the same river boat between runs. They were staying with their older sister in St. Louis, and Samuel had a vivid dream of seeing Henry in a steel coffin wearing one of Sam's suits. He saw a woman come into the room and lay roses on the boy's chest. Three days later, they shipped out on the Pennsylvania downriver to New Orleans, where Sam got into a fight with the boat pilot, which is probably a good thing, <laughs> who foisted him ashore, so he missed the run back north. Two days later, Sam got word that there had been a huge boiler explosion that killed, let's see, that killed many people. There is no veil, uh, 70. He took the next available riverboat up to the Missis up to Memphis, where he was able to spend time with Henry as he was dying of his burns. The next morning, he entered the room where all the dead were arrayed in their pine coffins, except one. His brother had been given a steel coffin. The nurses had been so impressed with the boy's stoicism the previous night that they'd all pitched in to purchase a superior coffin. Just as Sam was standing there beholding the scene, seeing that Henry borrowed one of his suits without telling him, a nurse came in and lays a bouquet of roses on the dead boy's chest. So this is this is one of the excerpts you put in. I love the fact that you went back into history and you found excerpts. And this is from Samuel Clemens, which was then, which turned into Mark Twain. So why did you pick this particular story and how did you find it? Oh, I was just watching a YouTube interview with uh, um, that writer, Eric Wargo, who, who has a great book called um, Time Loops that I recommend. Um, and he shared that story. And it, it, um, it was just in a section of the book that talked about precognition. 
So it fit in in there. It was a precognitive dream that Sam Clements had about his brother, and it came true just what was it three days later. Um, and so it fit. That's that's all. <laughs> and one of the things I like is as when I look through some of your books, it was bringing up going through you're all about taking the detail the detail the detail finding the accounts putting the that stuff in there and that's been something that a lot of people it's dismissed i think a lot because people focus on just one point or don't get to the detail and i love the fact that when you have there is no veil you went through with multiple different accounts putting different things in there along with more along through the with throughout the book touching on a lot of different subjects in that book so that's something it kind of takes you through the story of understanding you know like what do we consider the veil how do we move through the veil what is the veil and why do you think the veil isn't really a veil anymore I feel it kind of takes the reader through the whole questioning themselves yeah and I I, um I kind of like synthesizing different areas of knowledge or, or trying to synthesize them so I I get into um, um, physics, modern physics, relativity, the physics of information, um, and and I sort of alternate science chapters with history of spirit research chapters, and try to see the bridges between them, you know, um, the connective tissue, and people have found it some sometimes hard to follow because I do jump to different such different arenas. Um, but that's the way I like to think. So to heck with them if they can't follow it. Some people can. And I always look at the people who are going to be drawn to it are drawn to it because they're very similar to yourself or they want to see, like, what are they saying? And then where's the scientific aspect and kind of putting those two, bridging those two worlds together. Because really, I feel going forward, we're really bridging the gap of bringing in that scientific aspect along with that spiritualist aspect and bringing them together, showing how they all fit together. I think that's something that's so important for people to see. And for me, I'm excited to see people getting getting all the foundations behind it, doing the scientific research, getting everything down because it helps the people that are, and, and even myself, it, it helps everybody, it, but it really helps the people see here's what we have here's the evidence here's what was said you can kind of put it together yourself and and make that assumption between you so i really love the aspect and i love how you put it together that way so for me i think it's a great way to do it and you know you're talking about physics and the science aspect and i know we touched a little bit on like quantum physics how everything is connected and what is your aspect on the physics of the quantum physics aspect of bringing all this together? I don't know. Quantum mechanics is very difficult to understand. And I've just scratched the surface. Um, you know, some people, I mean, one of the main um, concepts that people like to use when bringing it over into the spiritualism um, context is entanglement. You know, mm -hmm. so if you take, two photons or two electrons and you you um put them together and then you split them apart they are essentially two sides of the same coin from then on they're they become one object and and apparently if you even move them a, a million light years apart you're going to know which spin 
the other one has just by looking at the spin that this one has. I don't know how they proved that. They've proved it on Earth. They've done they've, they've um, done experiments where, like many many miles apart, spins. When you change one, you simultaneously change the other. So they're they they. So I don't know. That's a very special category of experiments. So I don't know to what extent you can apply exactly that to all other kind of um, um, connectedness that happens. I think it may be. I think it may be like a window into the fact that distance is an illusion, and it allows us to see just absolutely mysteriously that there is no such thing as distance because they're not communicating with each other, these two photons, because they'd have to communicate faster than the speed of light because they change, changing one changes the other simultaneously, not quickly, but absolutely simultaneously. So that bridges the entire um, notion of distance. So I think that's a, like a little aperture, a little wink into the the truth that there is no such thing as real uh, that distance is a construct you know so i think that the other sort of connectedness that happens in spirit spiritual reality is capitalizing on that fact rather than necessarily being the same entanglement phenomenon as in physics but that's my current little sketchy understanding it's very hard people people seem to think they know what quantum physics is even physicists have a hard time because it's so it remains so counterintuitive to how we live our lives every day. And I think quantum physics is still it's still being explored. It's still in its infancy stage in a lot of ways. But that yeah. when you touched about, you know, no time for me, there's no time or space, distance, yeah. time, space. Yeah. That's all that's all our own illusion. And I think these experiments are starting to show that it is just our way of managing the world versus the reality of the world. And isn't it interesting that the spirit consciousnesses that you're in touch with will say the same thing. And then these, there's no such thing as time, sequential time or, or, or distance. Um, you know, there's space in general, but distance. Right. I mean, that's a hard distinction to draw. <laughs> but it's amazing and, and wondrous that your spirits will tell you that. And science is discovering from increasingly many angles how how concretely demonstrable provable that is you know so so the two the, the sort of airy fairy world of spirits is actually no not not um foreign to or separate from the most concrete possible scientific rigorous you know um uh revelations that can be made sometimes i feel science is catching up with them <laughs> yeah well no that's what it does seem like doesn't it I mean, absolutely. And it's making itself more and more known. And more and more people are getting more interested in it, figuring out how things operate. And and I think for with what you're doing, I love all, all the different books, all the different types of books. So it, you really can resonate with a lot of different type of people looking at different aspects with the veil, with Sasquatch, with all kinds of different aspects of it. And yeah, well, I, we haven't gotten into the parallels between autistic savants and Sasquatch, but we probably won't have time for that today. But um, if anyone's interested, I have the main book to read is the shortest one where I managed to boil down that hypothesis into the clearest possible terms. And it's called Sasquatch and Autism. It's a very straightforward title. 
where I look at 12 parallels between autism, especially autistic savantism, the genius type of autistic people, and Sasquatch. That's something that I actually had down, so I don't know if, if we want to cover a little bit or not, but it was, it was, I have the Sasquatch savant theory, which is you have also the three books in one. So that was also another aspect of, it says, although it says, you have the mind of the Sasquatch, although we cannot yet study the psychology of the Sasquatch directly, we are in good position to already make an educated guesses about their mentality based on behavioral analysis. Skeptics are fond of asking, as though no one were remotely possible. How could an eight foot tall primate exist undiscovered in our backyard, meeting the issue head on? And the mind of the Sasquatch outlines the Sasquatch savant theory, revealing a personality profile of the species that differs substantially from any offered below before. And Sasquatch are hardwired by evolution to conceal themselves, interacting with us only in mediated indirect fashion and their technical genius and other striking abilities mirror the gifts seen in people knowing known as autistic savants. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> they told me where to grab stuff. <laughs> who, wrote, who wrote that? That sounds good. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it does. Pretty clear. A little, word, a little bit wordy, but... <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, uh, there's a lot to that subject. It's very rich, and uh, there's 12 different parallels that I go through. Um, and uh, you know, it would take it would take half an hour to, to. Absolutely. So it's it's definitely something. Maybe we could talk another time on the savants and and kind of bring that in and talk about that. Are you aware of any connection between spiritual uh, awakeness and autistic autism? Uh, yes, I've seen a lot of the autistic children who are very, mm -hmm. very connected to the other side, where when especially you'll see children where they'll be talking, they'll be doing different things, and they're having a whole conversation with others on the other side. So the those connection with the autistic children to those on the other side is very, very much deeper than I think most people realize. And I think I'm hoping the science will start catching up with that also, because it is, it, it, for me, it's, it's always, it's a treat to see the children come in and, and be able to interact with them and, and seeing and, and getting information from the other side when those that I'm working with that are talking to me about what the children are experiencing, what they, how, what their behaviors have been, you know, and telling the parent, this is, you know, there's, there's, these are the behaviors they're saying it's because of this, or this person is interacting with them. This person is working with them and to have that, that whole circle of connection, but they are so much, a lot of them, I can't speak for all of them, but a lot of them I have personally had the opportunity to work with have been very very connected to the other side yeah i think it is true i think there's i think there's somehow a, a throwback to a, um a, an older way of being before we got so clouded and and distracted um and i you know there's so much that sasquatch does that autistic people do and so much genius that Sasquatch displays in order to achieve what they achieve on a daily basis that is quite um, parallel with um, savants, autistic savants, especially photographic memory, 
understanding of systems like Sasquatch has to has to nail down and commit by commit to um, absolutely um, second nature memory all of our routines and the human the sort of human machine going on so that they can so they can duck into the negative space to our positive space or vice versa whichever you, way you want to put it and knowing knowing better than we know what we're going to do next um and and there's there's many other aspects to it but that's just a little a little teaser so I, I encourage people to check out more of christopher's information his books his youtube channel go on his facebook um and go on amazon if you look up his name again that link will be down below i have a website too which is called which is the nearness of you.net i will add that on here on the bottom thank you thank the you nearness of you.net the and, nearness of you.net and that one will be all the links will be down below so definitely check on that but it is there's so much information you've been covering in all different realms and that's one of the things i found so interesting with you is you're not just pigeonholed on one aspect but instead you're taking that and just expanding and expanding and expanding what you're learning what you're discovering and I love the all the information you're putting behind it so people are looking like where's the evidence what do I look at where do I look and and you're putting it on there and I think that's so important for so many people well thank you I've, I've been um kind of in fear of spreading myself too thin that's why I just focused on Sasquatch and not other paranormal uh topics but then I, I just recently sort of circled back to the spiritual thing because i had this um long long months long conversation with a ghost when i was 17 and always meant to circle back and learn more about what the heck was going on there and and now i'm going to also have to include ufos because of all the the revelations that are coming out lately oh my gosh i can't be in my comfortable little uh my cozy little sasquatch circle exclusively anymore but that's okay it's all about expanding and learning um i forgot to say one thing that i was going to say which is i came up with the title there is no veil when i was in a dollar general store buying some cat food and some wine i thought i i had written a bunch of the book and researched a bunch and i thought what should i call this book and i the, that title float flittered into my mind flittered in and then when I got in the car outside and I was just about to leave the parking lot and enter traffic, I heard a very obvious, loud, metallic raps on my back passenger window. Like it was as if somebody had a quarter and were going rep, 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 high pitched metallic glass on metal, like five of them. Boop, 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 boop. And it was I turned, there's nobody there, nothing there. And I, I took that as a sort of a, a thumbs up and endorsement <laughs> because there's no veil between that that window and whatever was hitting it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it was very loud and obvious. And that sort of thing doesn't happen to me much. A lot of people have that kind of stuff happen all the time, but this was this was uh, surprising and 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 very uh very uplifting. So, I think the other really yeah. nice thing with that is you're showing like you said you don't usually have that type of of thing happen to you to show people once you start opening yourself up once you start being aware of the possibilities how they're more than willing to come through <laughs> and start 
start doing having some fun start all, having, all well, it took was all it took was having, it was thinking of that title i mean maybe they gave me that title obviously that's possible but just just the sort of taking that next little baby step beyond being stuck in that in that paradigm of thinking there's a big separation between dimensions allowed the dimensions to inflate right then and on my window it's a pretty remarkable thing i was so happy that's the and that's the thing i love with you're taking an aspect where you didn't really fully maybe believe they could do it you had hope but didn't think you know didn't know if they could and then it's happening and you're documenting it and that's that's the thing a lot of things happen a lot of people don't document it they they don't have it down so and even yeah. and that's the biggest thing with you is you you're documenting everything I'm kind of like a journalist. I really, I feel driven to, uh, to to nail things down and to to preserve them for whatever for posterity or for, you know, I may never get to see the discovery, the scientific acceptance, and the mainstream acceptance of the Sasquatch species. But once it is accepted, I hope that my contribution will still resonate with to some extent. You know, so that's that's what motivates me. It's it's a good a good sort of vision to have. Um, it's funny then, you brought that up that you wanted to be a part of that. And yet, and earlier we talked about how there really is no time and space. It's timeless. So anything we do now, it's timeless and will be resonating with someone at some point. Whoa. Well, but there, for some, for most of the human race, they're still going to experience things in sequential, even if it's an illusion, that's the, how it'll unfold for them. So somebody reading my books 100 years from now, for them, it will be 100 years, even if in true truth, it won't be. <laughs> anyway. But, but even at that point, there some of some people will just be more waking up, as we call it sometimes, of, of just discovering it. And they're going to discover it at the exact time they're ready for it. Yeah, that'll be good. And I, I was ready for it when I had that thing happen with the window. But I, I guess I wasn't ready. I needed 17 years to study Sasquatch, and then I could move this into it moved that into a wider field of vision. And so chapter 13 in There Is No Veil is just about Sasquatch and uh, these strange things that happen with that species that we've witnessed are very much in keeping with typical um, uh, events and episodes that have been documented in in seances and in with physical mediums, people who, around whom the malleability uh, of matter is constantly demonstrated. Um, so I was able to put Sasquatch in that broader context. And so now uh, it was time finally to, uh, to, to, to uh, increase my em embrace, try to increase the embrace. And you know, that's what we're trying to do here, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. Bringing everything together and showing that everything really does fit together. It's not such a separate thing. It's not one thing or the other, but instead it's a culmination of all of it and seeing how it all fits. I always like to, it's like, how do the puzzle pieces fit together? So it's, for me, it's always like, what part of the puzzle is this and where does it go? And does it fit there completely or does it kind of morph around? So right. it, it's always right. fun to see how it fits together. It's really the childlike wonder that we try to maintain. Absolutely. And, it, I, and I've always felt like a child at really at heart. And I always have felt kind of discouraged by the sort of stodginess of most adults. 
And that's the thing is, is to keep like, for me, I know I'm going to be learning right up to the day I die. I'm excited for that. You know, I'm, I'm dying in the physical. I'll keep going on. So yeah. I'm not I was going to say, then you're learning on Billy Accelerator. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's more of being excited for what you can learn next. What can you discover next about yourself, about the world around you? And that's really where we need to be. <laughs> Amen, and sister. And that's what you're helping so many people with your books, with everything you've got. So I just, uh, I think we'll have to start closing pretty soon. I just wanted to thank you so much for being here. And I wanted to encourage people. So check out his Facebook page at Christopher.Noel.980. His, uh, the nearness of you.net, his uh, website and the Impossible Visits YouTube channel and also his information uh, for his books is on Amazon. You can check out, you can look up. I found, I looked on Amazon there. You have a lot of books on there and I found it's better to look by your name and then it lists all the books you have. So there's so much great information out there. I hope all of you take the time to check into that because it's well worth it. And there is no veil. Playing in the vast here now is going to be it's a very interesting and mind altering book as far as altering your perceptions. So I think the perceptions that we all have about the veil. And when I saw the cover, there is no veil. I'm like, yep, somebody gets it. <laughs> there is no veil. Finally, finally somebody. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I appreciate I appreciate this conversation that we've had until I'm, I'm very, very humbled by your um by your recommendation to everybody that they pursue my my books and my videos and everything and then um you're you're contributing greatly in your own in your own niche which is a large one so we uh we overlap and and we also do our own thing so okay. it's it's a it's a pleasure to cross-pollinate with you awesome and same here it's been a pleasure and thank you so much for the uh the comments or the, the compliments, I appreciate it. And I love what I do. And I love bringing more people like you to ex expose you to other people, to different groups of people. I think it's so important that all of us are working together, making a whole new community and opening ourselves up and opening other people up to other options and opportunities that are out there. And I am so excited to have you on here. And I just wanted to thank you again so much for being on here. And I hope all of you enjoyed your conversation with Christopher Noel. It has been amazing. I have had a great time and I want to thank all of you for listening today. I appreciate all of you and I hope all of you have an absolutely amazing day.